Our limited hosannas, spoken by Pastor Eugene Cho. I, I say this often when I get to come here. I consider Metro my 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 home church in New Jersey, and uh, every time I'm here, uh, I get to worship with you. In fact, about a month ago, I was just in the area and wanted to worship, so I stopped by and. Uh, listened to Pastor Ansi's sermon. It was convicting, and she was all over my marriage business and, and all of that stuff. And uh, but um, yeah, it's uh, I just got so much in my mind and heart. But again, just so so grateful. Um, your pastor just mentioned this, but there's something about Palm Sunday because again, it introduces us to the final week of Jesus's life. And if you're like me, I think there's a temptation, and the temptation is the excitement of wanting to just jump to Resurrection Sunday. And sometimes, from our modern lens, there is a tendency of looking back and somewhat Disneyifying or Disneyizing the last week of Jesus' life. We want to avoid the discomfort, the disruption, the pain, the suffering of Jesus, and just get. To the glory of Resurrection Sunday, and yes, in hindsight, we know that we can celebrate Resurrection Sunday, but how important it is for us to pause and slow down and to reflect upon the final days of Jesus's life. And as we do so, we do so not just alone, but again, as your pastor reminded us, that we are marking this with the global church. That there are tens, if not hundreds, of millions of people all around the world, even as we speak and worship right now. The church here in New Jersey, the church around this country, the church in Ukraine, even the church in Russia, as they seek to speak truth to power. The church in Korea, the church in South Africa, the church in Yemen, the church in Myanmar—people that are seeking to reflect upon the life of Jesus. So it's with that in mind, I have been given the privilege today to speak to you about Palm Sunday, and so we're going to read the scripture. I'll say a prayer, and then I'll give you a roadmap of how we'll spend the next 35 or so minutes together as we study God's word. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1. Two eleven. Now listen for the word of God. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, "Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me." If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and He will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet: "Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey." The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your amazing grace that allows us to gather and to worship you. We ask for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to be with us. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, friends, let me give you a, a bit of a roadmap so that you can have a sense of what to expect during our time here. I wanna spend some time introducing uh, the concept of Palm Sunday and where uh, Hosanna comes from, what that word means, its root origin. And then after that, I wanna speak to you about four things that we can glean from our passage here. Now, I just want you to note that this passage is full. It is rich and we could spend a lot of time. In fact, there were at least eight or nine things that I thought we could be preaching on. But again, for the sake of time and wanting to go a little bit deeper, I wanna to speak to you about four points in hopes and in prayers that the Holy Spirit may impress upon you a couple of these things that will linger with you, not just this week, but as part of formation in your life. Now, let's talk about Palm Sunday. You've already heard that today we celebrate Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. And Christians around the world recognize Palm Sunday as the moment, as the day that Jesus makes his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. Now, as a preacher, I'm not really into titles. But I know that in some churches, titles are essential. So for that sake, today's title for the sermon is simply our limited hosannas. Our limited hosannas. Now I could have easily titled the sermon, our misled hosannas, our misguided hosannas, our off hosannas. But my point is that there is something slightly or even dramatically off in the parade that we entitled the dramatic entry of, Jeru of Jesus into Jerusalem. And we'll get into this as part of the sermon. The first thing I wanna do is explain to you about the meaning of the word Hosanna. Now already we've sang a song or two with Hosanna in the lyrics. If you've gone to church, perhaps in your previous years, it's quite possible that you have heard this in sermons or in songs. It is a declaration of praise similar to another word like hallelujah. In the church, we'll say words like hallelujah or hosanna, and sometimes we use these words not quite knowing what they mean. 
the word Hosanna is really a plea for help, a plea for salvation. The Hebrew root words are found in the Old Testament in Psalm 118, verse 25. The Hebrew words yasha means deliver and save, and ana means beg or beseech, and combined together, it forms the word yashana or hosanna in English, and it literally means I beg you to save, save us, O Lord, deliver us, O Lord. This phrase, this word is a word of grace and significance. And here's why. It's because it's a reminder to us that we cannot save ourselves. And there's something about that that's very countercultural and disruptive. Because perhaps, like me, many of us, we live in this cultural context where it feels like I can do this if I simply put my mind and my heart and my energy into this, I can do this. Now, I'm not suggesting that there aren't things that you and I can do to improve our lives. We can do it emotionally and physically and spiritually. And I would say that those are all good things. There is room and place and value and significance about going to pastors and coaches and therapists and and physical coaches, all of these things in ways to improve our lives. So I applaud it. There's a difference between those things and the utter essence of saving ourselves salvation. So for me as a pastor, this word Hosanna is a humble declaration, God deliver us, save us. While you and I are undeserving of God's mercy and grace, we as Christians believe that because of God's goodness, mercy and grace, he seeks and pursues after us, sends his son Christ for us. And so we say, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's the root meaning of that word. Another background context of this passage before we get into the four points is that this is another reminder as I see it as the authority of God's scripture because even in this passage we're told that this is a embodiment, a fruition of a prophecy in the Old Testament from Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes unto you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding upon a donkey and upon the colt, the foal of a donkey. So again, it's a reminder that God's word has truth and authority. So friends, let's get into the four points that I hope would encourage each and every single one of you. Here's the first one, and it's this. Be humble, for our Lord is humble. Be humble, for our Lord is humble. I don't know about you, but I don't know if there are a lot of teachings, guidance, mantras, proverbs, inclinations. There's not a lot of things in our culture that speak about the beauty and the power 
of humility. Like if you were to ask people about superpowers, you would rarely ever hear someone say, my superpower is humility. That there's something about humility and about Jesus. And one of the ways in which we see this is the fact that we see the centrality of the symbol of the donkey in the story. Yes, donkeys have been used in other instances in scripture, whether it's with Abraham and Isaac, whether it's with King Solomon or King Jehu. But I want you to realize that yes, while this is a fruition of God's prophetic word, the fact that Jesus, the king of his people, enters into Jerusalem, into a donkey in a larger cultural landscape, even then, where donkeys were not known for power or might or significance. They were often animals that were seen as behind the scenes, unloved, somewhat reliable, if you will, but they were just behind the scenes. If we speak about might and power, we think about horses and chariots, and yet we realize that Jesus is a different kind of king. And even as we watch and read and analyze the story, we begin to realize that the donkey, while significant, and here's the point, is not the center of the story. Now, let me explain this. I think one of the best answers about the importance of the donkey and yet the fact that it's not the most important part of the story is basically given to us by a quote from a theologian by the name of Karl Barth. Karl Barth, a Swiss theologian on his 80th birthday, he had these words to say, and I'm gonna read it because it's so significant, I want you to listen to this carefully. Here's Karl Barth who is arguably known as the most influential theologian of modern theology. This is what he writes, he goes, quote, with horror, I read a statement that I was the greatest theologian of the century. That really terrified me. What does the term greatest theologian actually mean? As a theologian, one can never be great, but at best one remains small in one's own way. Let me again remind you of the donkey I referred to earlier. A real donkey is mentioned in the Bible or more specifically, an ass. I like reading this quote because I can say that and attribute it to someone else. (laughs) It was permitted to carry Jesus to Jerusalem. If I have done anything in this life of mine, I have done it as a relative of the donkey that went its way carrying an important burden. The disciples had said to his owner, the Lord has need of it. And so it seems to have pleased God to have used me at this time, just as I was, in spite of all the things, the disagreeable things that quite rightly are and will be said of me. Here it is, thus I was used. In other words, we have to realize that this donkey, as central as it is to the story, is not the center of the story. 
the donkey is merely used by Jesus ultimately for Jesus' plans, glory and honor. Sometimes I imagine the story and if we're not careful with all the clapping and all the adoration, all the words, the cloaks, the palm trees being waved, is it possible for this donkey to be seduced into thinking, this is about me? Is this about me? And is it possible that you and I, as we live our lives, and please don't misunderstand my sermon, I'm not suggesting that we can't do that which God has called us to with greatness and joy and love, but making sure that when it's all said and done, we are just merely the donkey that God uses for his glory and honor. A friend of mine by the name of Shane Claiborne, he simply says in one of his books, he says, like the donkey that Jesus rode into town on Palm Sunday, we've got to realize the glory isn't ours. We're just the asses. And what a gift that Jesus would choose to use us. Be humble, for our Lord Jesus is humble. I don't know if this makes sense, but there are times as we go about living our lives, if we're not careful, that it does become about self, me, myself, and I, my self-glory, my self-elevation, and we have to regularly remind ourselves that it's about Jesus Christ. In your work, whatever work you do, in your studies, in your relationships, placing Jesus at the center of all that we do. You know, many years ago, I was, uh, you know, I have a chance to speak around different places, both in the country and around the world, grateful for the opportunities and the platform that God gives to me. And I was speaking at this one conference in LA. It was a large conference and it was a a, a very unique honor to to preach at like this really well-known amphitheater, I think it was called the Orpheum Theater in LA. And I was there with my wife And as I went to this conference as a main speaker, as a keynote speaker with bright lights, I want to confess to you that even despite my desire to stay humble, there was something about that environment that began to slowly get into my heart and mind. And I'm telling you, after a while, like it begins to affect the way you stand. Like I'm five, six and a half. I, I, I felt like I was Peter on. Like I felt like I was like. <laughs> it affects the way that you interact with others. What's up? <laughs> it impacts the way, strangely, it even impacts the way that you walk. I mean, I'm just confessing, and I sometimes wonder to myself, if this donkey coming in, simply a tool used by God's mercy and grace for God's purposes, if this donkey hearing the words, the chants, the adorations, the palm trees, the cloaks on the road, if it might think it's about me. And the next thing you know, this this donkey feels like it's, I mean, It never walks like this. 
but it begins to walk with the funk. Okay, I, I did go clubbing a little bit when I was younger. And I'll never forget this. My wife, married 25 years, and after a while you get to know each other deeply and intimately. And this woman, she scares me sometimes. And I know she's watching right now. I know she's watching, because she told me so. This, I mean, my wife Minhee, that day, she comes next to me and she goes, why are you walking like that? <laughs> and in my mind, I'm just trying to be really cool, but she knows that I'm actually walking with a strut, even though I'm trying to just act cool. She knows. And this is a true story. I'll show you my text. Every now and then, she'll send me a text. She'll send me texts when I'm speaking in different places and she'll send me the text and this, her text simply says, Eugene, I love you. Remember, you're just the donkey. <laughs> Out of love, as a reminder, it's not about us. It's not about you. Again, friends, I'm not suggesting that you misconstrue what I'm saying that God's calling us, that humility is not mediocrity. Do what God's called you to do. Do it with greatness. Do it with joy. Do it with love. Do it with excellence. But each and every time as attention comes your way, be sure to give Jesus all the glory and honor. We're simply, merely by God's grace, the donkey that Jesus uses for his glory and honor. Be humble, for our Jesus is humble. Here's point number two. Be about a different kind of power because Jesus is a different kind of king. This point is very connected to the first point. Be about a different kind of power because Jesus is a different kind of king. For us to understand the kind of king and the kingdom that Jesus introduces, all you have to do is read the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes to get a glimpse of the ethics of God's kingdom. But in order for us to better understand the kind of king Jesus is, you have to juxtapose it to what kings did during the time of Jesus. Does that make sense? Like you have to have a, a context of how other rulers and kings and people in authority and power exercised their power. So I'm gonna read for you some research that I did, and this is not all of my original work, it's a fruit of research that I included in my latest book on faith and politics. And specifically, it's about a Roman general by the name of Aemilius Paulus, someone of significant power during and around that time. The famous Greek author Plutarch vividly describes how the Roman general Aemilius Paulus made his entrance into the city of Rome. Aemilius had won a decisive victory over the rebellious Macedonians. 
His victory was so complete that he had captured the king of Macedonia and led him back to Rome as a prisoner of war together with thousands of other prisoners and an abundance of plunder that had been taken from the Macedonians. Now listen carefully. When Aemilius entered Rome, Plutarch tells us his triumphant procession through the city lasted for three days. Every day had a particular focus. The first day was dedicated to carrying all around Rome all the artwork that Aemilius and his army had looted from Macedonia. The second day, they displayed all the weapons of the Macedonians. And when the day finally came for Aemilius himself to make his glorious entrance, he was preceded by 250 oxen whose horns were all adorned in gold. Afterwards came the vessels carrying the gold coins that had been taken, according to Plutarch, about 17,000 pounds of gold. I mean, I can go into more specifics, but I'm trying to give you the impression, the imagination details of how another king, another ruler, another general exercised their power and their might. It was all to show and demonstrate to people I have power. We don't have to just look back at 2,000 plus years ago. All we have to do is to look around our nation or even around the world to see human beings abuse their power not for the sake of loving neighbors and caring for neighbors, especially those who are marginalized or vulnerable, but exploiting for their self-gain and their power grab. Whether it's like the North Korean dictator who wants to remind the world, I'm still here. Firing ballistic missiles to somehow remind people I wanna stay relevant in the conversations of power. Or perhaps what's going on in Russia and in Ukraine with Vladimir Putin. Not just now, but in the past decade or so, we've seen him invading Georgia and Crimea and Ukraine before. And certainly what's going on right now. Some of you may not recall this because maybe you're too young, I'm not sure, but it wasn't that long ago where, where there was a, a gigantic propaganda image of Vladimir Putin shirtless riding a mighty horse. And that was spreading through the internet to convey to others power and might. But it's also really important that we here, particularly as Americans, we're not just pointing the fingers at others. There's got to be some deep self-reflection. And some of you might perceive this to be partisan, and I'm not trying to be partisan. If you get upset at me, you can email me personally at dougcho at emetro.org. But even in our nation, we've seen a prior president threatening violence 
expressions of misogyny, attempting to punch your face, boasting of his wealth, his sexual conquests, threats to people everywhere. And even in our nation where we see so much need, we continue to see the military spending of our nation grow and grow and grow. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would say that we are a bankrupt nation. And again, just in case it's convenient for you to point the finger at others, this might be a good time to examine and reflect upon the ways in which you exercise influence and power that you have. Influence in your relationships, in your family, with your children, with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your boss, with those who work underneath you. How is it that we use our influence? Is it to wield in ways to cut others down or to lift up others? And so here is Jesus entering again into Jerusalem, not with chariots, not with horses, not with might, not with swords. But ultimately, we see how he chooses to spend his last week on earth. You know, I mentioned this at the first service. I want you to think about just for a moment what you would do if you knew you only had one week to live. If you only had one week to live and you knew it, how would that affect your decisions in the final week? I know your pastor's here and so you would say, of course I would come to church. Maybe, I don't know. But I suspect that if you're like me, all of us, whether written or unwritten, we all have a bucket list. Like I have a bucket list of things that I want to do before I die someday physically here on earth. If I knew I only had one week to live, I am going to go to the bucket list on steroids because I want to make sure I do a few of those things. My bucket list, mm, man, I got to travel at least to one or two places. I've never been to Italia. As you can tell by the way I said Italia. (laughs) I would love to go to a warm place and soak in some sun with my family. It's frigid, cold, and still raining in Seattle. I know this is a selfless or a selfish comment, but I'm just going to say it. If I had one day or one week to live, I want to drive a fast car just once in my life. I know it's weird, but I just want to drive a fast car. I want to go rent a Ferrari and uh, I drive a a Volkswagen Jetta. uh, Sad. (laughs) If I had one week to live, I would think about what are the specific meals that I want to enjoy and to say to people, cost doesn't matter. I just want to enjoy just couple amazing meals. Here's Jesus. It's not a Ferrari. It's not chariots. It's a donkey. It's not about him. He heals. He teaches. This Jesus, I mean, it's wild. He gets on his knees 
and he washes the feet of his disciples, including the feet of a man he knew was going to betray him. Man, seriously, uh, your pastor, Pastor Peter, is one of my best friends. If I had one week to live, I am not washing your feet. (laughs) Jesus ultimately goes to the cross. Here's my point. Jesus is a different kind of king. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many, for all who would choose to say yes. Friends, here's the third point, and it's this. Be steadfast and faithful in your love for Jesus because our Jesus is steadfast and faithful. It's true that when you were to study and analyze and exegete the events of Jesus's final week, the crowd that was present in Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, it's not the exact same crowd that journeys with him throughout the week. It's not the exact same crowd that shows up on Crucifixion Friday. And certainly we know it's not the exact same crowd that welcomes Jesus after the power of God raises Christ from the dead. But at the same time, it would be a mistake in my opinion to assume that some people that are here saying this religious spiritual phrases, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, save us, that there are people in this crowd that after X amount of days, as tide turns, as culture turns, as winds turn, as circumstances turn, some of them are at this side saying, crucify him. As followers of Jesus, it is possible that our allegiance is so unrooted that it can just vacillate and be malleable to the circumstances and to the popular culture of those times. I think it's also possible that especially now, we live in a world where our attention is constantly being taken away from us. And not to say that we should be victims, I want you to know that the world is moving so fast, you might find yourself having a hard time focusing Staying, sitting, watching, worshiping. There's something very spiritual about sitting at the feet of Jesus. Even when people say it's time to move on, he's not who he says he is. He's dead. It's so Hard to just sit at the feet of Jesus. Let me tell you some results of a research that was conducted by a company called Microsoft, a company that you're all aware of. They've done this research both in the United States and in Canada. And I just want to share with you a little bit about this research because it's fascinating. And I think this has implications for all of us, not just our children, but for you too. They conducted a survey of more than 2,000 people 
and actually monitored the brain activity of 112 of those 2,000 people. And they were trying to do some research about how our brain wiring is changing in response to the pace of technology in our world. And you know that our world is fast changing. Whether it's televisions, our tablets, our smartphones, Instagram, TikTok, and the list goes on. And here's the shocking results of their research. In the survey, they began to assess that the attention span of human beings, at least these 2,000 people, had dropped from an average of 12 seconds in the year 2000, 12 seconds, year 2000, to eight seconds today. The average goldfish, according to scientists, can concentrate for nine seconds. <laughs> this is actually quite stunning. Do you ever find yourself having a hard time struggling to focus? Work, relationships. Like right now as you're worshiping, you're like, man, my TikTok channel. I struggle with this. When you add that along with the complexities of how fast our world and society and culture and language and customs and culture is changing, I can see why it could be that much more seductive to say Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And depending on circumstances on a different day, our words are dramatically different. A lack of unrootedness, duplicitousness. This is why it's so important for us to be steadfast, be faithful, even if the crowd turns, worship Jesus. Here's the fourth thing, and we'll wrap up with this. Be about Jesus and the kingdom of God because Jesus is about the kingdom of God. You see, we know that Jesus is a different kind of king. And therefore, a different kind of king is going to remind us, usher in a different kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom that does not revolve around me, myself, and I, or the things of this world. And the reason why this is important is that if we're to have a very blunt, honest conversation this morning, it is quite possible that you and I we can somehow make the kingdom of God and even Jesus more about our agenda. About our agenda. So for example, friends, if you were to read the scriptures, and as you read the scriptures and you're never challenged, disrupted, or convicted by the word of God, it's quite possible that you form Jesus or God's word into your own image. Sometimes I'll read the scriptures and when there's a convicting word, I'm stunned how my mind, rather than asking myself, how does this word speak to me? If there's a really hard, challenging word, I think to myself, who is this a word for? 
so as to say, I don't want this to get into my business. In fact, I would contend with you that the oldest sin in human history is the sin of forming God into our image. Like this is what Adam and Eve, at the core essence of it, it's basically forming God into their image and ultimately what this means is to be God-like. And so as a result, in our world today, in your mind, in your heart, and yes, even in my, my own mind and heart, we have boxes in which we want Jesus to fit in for our agenda. And so as a result, before you know it, we have more of political Jesus, Republican Jesus, Democrat Jesus, conservative Jesus, liberal Jesus, socialist Jesus, feminist Jesus, mixed martial art Jesus, social justice Jesus, revolutionary Jesus, militant nationalistic Jesus. We have January 6th Jesus. We have homeboy, he's my best friend Jesus. We have bless me Jesus, my least favorite, the essential oils Jesus. We have Enneagram Jesus. We have ATM Jesus, just pick the right numbers so that Jesus can bless you, Jesus. We have black, brown, Asian, white, blonde, blue eye, Jesus. In case of emergency, Jesus, we have prosperity, Jesus, poverty, Jesus. My point is, it's very tempting to fill in the blank Jesus for my agenda. Now here, listen, the good news is that Jesus is able to speak to each of those boxes and agendas that I mentioned, but here's the greatest ultimate news, Jesus can never be contained by those boxes. See, Jesus can speak to those things. I believe there is a word, a pastoral, a prophetic word to all of those things, but Jesus can never be contained. But sometimes in our selfishness, here we are waving the banner of our agenda. This, friends, is why we have to again, especially of all times, in the final week of Jesus' life, understand, yes, when we say Hosanna, oh, we've got to understand our desperate need for Jesus. Lord, we need your help. We need to understand how Jesus welcomes the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely, that Jesus saves, ushers in the kingdom of God, and yes, gives us a gospel of salvation. Jesus saves, and Jesus also cares about reconciliation. Jesus cares about justice. Jesus cares about human flourishing. That in the way that Jesus spends time in the temple addressing people of power and privilege, he also hangs with the prostitutes, the homeless, the destitute, the Samaritans, and the lepers. See, Jesus turns the social norms upside down and engages the women, the Gentiles, the tax collectors, and the list goes on. Literally, he introduces us to a different kingdom of God because Jesus is a different kind of king. So how then shall we live our lives? How then shall we live our lives?
perhaps the question we should end with is not so much if this was your final week on earth. Because here it is. There will at some point be a final week on earth for all of us. So maybe the question we should be asking is, how then shall we live our one life for the glory of God? Now, however many weeks, years we have left, how then shall we live? So Father, thank you so much again for your amazing grace that allows us to gather together to study your word and as we now enter into the final week of Jesus's physical life even as we find such deep profound hope and joy in the resurrection of Jesus help us to stay help us to walk help us to listen help us to learn help us to walk with Jesus God, we thank you so much. In Christ's name we pray, amen.